Okay, we've made it through the book of Acts. Um, And at the beginning, uh, we talked about how the title of this book is The Acts of the Apostles. All the actions, all the activities, all the events that they did, the apostles, to in the beginnings of the early church. Um, And we also talked a little bit about how it should be maybe a better title for it would be Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is truly the power, the the God um, head that is orchestrating all of this stuff. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, even though the Spirit was over the waters and stuff and there at creation because it's part of the Trinity and everything, um, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers, but he would rest upon them and he would leave, like Saul was one. He came and rested upon Saul and then Saul kind of messed up, whatever, and the Holy Spirit left. So we have... um, activity or recorded actions of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But because what Christ did when he came and rose and ascended was the climax of everything, everything is affected by that. It's a, it, everything is about that. Um, the Holy Spirit takes on a different role when Christ ascended. And the beginning of Acts starts in chapter 1 with the ascension of Christ and him telling them that when he goes, he, that he cannot send the Comforter until he ascends into heaven. And once he's up there, he can send the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit will empower believers. So God is still present on the earth in the form of the third Godhead within us. So, so instead of Christ, instead of Jesus being here walking around, one, you know, one person in time and space and everything, we now have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, in every single believer as the church throughout the world. And that's how he left his presence here. And I love it with when I get these little... Things like even the kid's memory verse, Christ in you, reflects that. So, so, spirit is in us, God is in us, God is with us, and we have a word for that, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, I wish we could use that word throughout the whole year because it's really a Christmas word, isn't it? Emmanuel, and we only sing about Emmanuel and God is with us. Thinking about he's a little baby. He's actually here with us because he came down, ascended, you know, descended and came down as a human born of a baby, a virgin, and here he is and he's Emmanuel, he's with us. He's walking amongst us. But really Emmanuel means he's with us. He's in us. He's he's here. He's here. Um so, and when the Spirit came, we were sealed. Ephesians 4.30 says we're sealed with the Spirit. He indwells us and we're sealed for the day of, uh, of when eternity comes and we get a new, new body and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're His. We're His. And when, when Christ is done making the, the mansions, He goes and prepares a place for us. And when all that's done and when it's time, when the Father says it's time to come and get His church, His bride, you know, it's going to be a whole new development with that. 
So we go from just being um, Old Testament believers who just don't have that experience of the eternal living God within us to, to this side of the cross where we're sealed in him. We become new creatures in Christ because we're born again. We become spiritually alive. Ezekiel 36, 26. Read the whole chapter of Ezekiel 36. Great chapter. God says he will cleanse his people, giving them a new heart and a new spirit. That's us. God couldn't go into a dirty vessel. He had to cleanse us first with the blood of Christ. And we believe that on faith. And we become a new creature in Christ. And that's a reality. That's a reality. We're cleansed inside. Tired of hearing people say, well, I'm not good enough for God, or I'm a Christian, but, I, you know, I think, he, you know, he's mad at me. No, we're cleansed. He sees us through the, the blood of Christ. He sees us in righteous robes. And so we're spiritually alive. He gave us a new heart. He took our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh, and he gave us a new spirit. All throughout Scripture, it talks about this theme. Emmanuel, God dwells with his people. He abodes with us. And it's been, these aboding places have progressed throughout history also. We know in the Old Testament, God dwelt with his people in a tent, right? The tabernacle which wasn't even permanent. That was just something that they would pack up and move around throughout whatever, wherever Abraham, God was sending him, and, and with Moses and stuff, well, with Moses the tabernacle, um, and there, there, that was the presence of God. And it was a holy place, and God met with the high priests in those things, and it was the visual, in the center of their camp, a visual of God is with them. And then when they got into their promised land, then we have them in the temple. More permanent residence that Solomon built was the temple. And that wasn't going to be moved. That was big. We had several temples because it was destroyed. But in the New Testament now, there's a new abode for God with his people. And that's in the body of Christ. And that's in us. We are the temple of the living God. He indwells us. Put your mind, refresh yourself and think about that anew. That he is living in us, God's spirit. When we were little and said, oh, you're going to ask Jesus into your heart. Well, Jesus isn't in there. Jesus, where is Jesus? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? Interceding for us because we need help. And then we have the Holy Spirit intercedes with us too because we don't know how to pray. Two of the Godhead helping us communicate there. You know we're in trouble, right? (laughs) We're in good hands though. So God's spirit is what indwells us. Hey. The new abode of of the Holy Spirit is within us. So let's take that a little bit further because it's the Spirit that started working in these apostles' lives and in these new believers as it starts to unfold. This was a whole new concept that was happening. Um, It was hard to believe. And even today, it's, 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 it's kind of on the fringe of out there. It's a lot of faith. Um, but we know, we know, we know without a shadow of doubt that that's what it is. And so Jesus is the light of the world. When the light came into the world, we have in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. 
And flipping over in chapter 9, which is another Christmas reading, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a, a land of the deep darkness, on them has light shined. When Jesus came, he brought the light into the darkness. Isaiah 49, verse 6, the last part of verse 6. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So this is a plan from the beginning of time. This has always been a plan for the light of the, the world, the truth, uh, the word, Christ would come and he would indwell us and then we would go out and take that light. And that Isaiah 49, verse 6, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 6 is quoted, was quoted in Acts. When we were there in Acts 13, Paul is saying to the Gentiles, for the Lord has come and commanded us saying, a quote from Isaiah, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So that was taking that verse in Isaiah and now bringing it out to us. A light for the Gentiles so that we can believe and we can have that light indwelling us too. And that's how we become a witness to Christ. We are his witness. We are his embodied spirit spirit within us that is here on the earth being a witness to him he dwells in us his light shines in his saints the gentile believers colossians 1 27 one of paul's letters to the church in colossus he says this to them god chose to make known how great among the gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. A mystery, a mystery that Christ is in the Gentiles, not just the called nation, the people, the Jews, but he is now a mystery. He lives within us and even living within the people because the Jews all went to, went to a place. He was in the tabernacle. He was in the, you know, he, they went. But this is a a. a a great mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's such a wonderful phrase there. The hope of glory. Because we will be glorified with him when we all join together. We will be engaged with no more sin, no more rottenness, no more struggles, no more flesh fallen nature, no more anything no more living amongst death and decay and evil and sin no more living with the torments of satan and his demonic armies all that will be gone and it will be the hope of glory in the full presence of god living with christ and getting to spend eternity getting to know him think about that spend eternity getting to know him and there's no more death. This is another thing that kind of boggles my mind. So if there's going to be plants, it's going to be a, a beautiful world and a new heaven and a new earth. And if things are going to grow, I don't know. But if they do and, they, and there's no death and there's no dying, so what do you do? You plant a little marigold and it grows and it grows and it grows and it continues to get more beautiful and beautiful and beautiful and astonishing. And then it's just a never-ending kind of 
pleasure and, whoa, what does God have for us today? And new sounds and new sights and new colors and new smells and new experiences and just the ultimate joy. This world's going to fade away. It'll be no remembrance of any of this stuff. That's the hope that we have, the hope of glory. Titus 3, verse 4, says this, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because but, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's our hope. We're just passing through here. But as we pass through, we are the light in a, in a dark world. So once the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, once the fullness of the Gentiles in what some people call is the church age here, because the Jews rejected the Messiah, they were um, uh, deafened, um, but there will come a time when... God will call out to his nation, the Israel nation, Israelites, and at that time, I believe it's interpreted this way, at that time on the planet in Israel, every Jew living at that time will be saved. It won't be all Jews going to be, be saved throughout history. It will be at that time. All the Jews... They'll be so surrounded by trouble and turmoil and everything, the only place they'll be able to look is up. And they'll recognize him, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah. But that's open for different interpretations. That's just kind of coming for me. So once the fullness of the Gentiles come in, what do we have here in... Um... Oh, I didn't mark it. In Romans. Well, in Romans eleven twenty three twenty six, 26, it talks about... The, um, the Jews being grafted back in, 22 and 23. And even though they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. We're grafted in as Gentiles, but he can, you know, and they've been kind of cut off, but he can graft them back in. Um, so Paul, when he talks in Acts 28 at the end there. He's saying, and which was just like last week, he tells us that when he's talking to the Jews in verse 20, 20 of chapter 28, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you to the Jewish leaders there in Rome, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. That's what he's talking about, the hope of of Israel, that they will acknowledge their Messiah someday. So we're witnesses to Christ. And in Matthew 6, Jesus himself said in verse 17, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So let your light shine. Do good deeds. Be, have the fruit of the Spirit very apparent in our life. Live like Christ. 
Put the flesh aside. Put, put those natural instincts of revenge and being hurt feelings and pouting and, and discontent and doubt and all those things that come with the flesh aside and live for Christ and let the world see those good deeds and those um, solid peace, you know, contentment and joy within us so they can do what? Give glory to the Father, to God. You're like that because of God? He does that? I want what you have. Ever have someone come up to you and say, I don't know what it is about you, but what you got, I want it. Then let me tell you about what I got. Because you can give it, you can have it too. So that's the beginning of the church with the apostles and stuff. And that's the Holy Spirit's work that was happening, that Christ is in us and the light is shining. And the Spirit through the work of Paul and the apostles, were pulling the church together. And Paul was the man that God chose to go out to the Gentiles and break through barriers and boundaries and um, hate, because it could only be the Jews or we're no Gentiles. They were corrupt and deplorable, and we don't want them to anything. In it. And Paul is saying, no, Christ died for his church. And so the Spirit... It began at Pentecost with the Jews, and the Spirit gave the apostles the ability to speak a foreign language, an unknown language to them, to be able to communicate the gospel to all the Jews that had gathered from all over the place that came from different language backgrounds, to speak their, their known language to them about the word of God, the gospel. And what an appropriate, what an appropriate miracle to use. He could have used any miracle to pull that church together, but he used language. Why? Because God, Christ is the word. Christ is the word of God. He's the living word. He is the expression of God. We use words to express things, right? When you're working with little kids and they're all upset, it's trying to get them to tell you what's going on inside and why they're upset. Use your words can't read your mind. You need to use your words and tell me what's going on. Communicating with our husbands when, you know, we expect them to read our minds. You know, what are your words here? Words are important. It's an expression of what's going on inside. It's an expression of truth. It's an expression of who God is. And so the Spirit uses the, the ability to speak in foreign languages. And so the apostles, the Jews did that at that time, and he used the same miracle with Cornelius and his family, the Gentiles, to confirm also that, yes, even the Gentiles can have a belief in the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. So the power of the Spirit united the body of Christ um, over continents, nationalities, it went out throughout the world. In Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, man, male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So the Spirit was working and doing this. Um, the Holy Spirit had empowered these men to turn the world upside down. Remember when we read about that in chapter 17, verse 6? These men who are turning the world upside down. 
But we see it a different way, don't we? We see it as they're actually turning the world right side up because they're bringing the truth. They're bringing the truth and setting everything right, the right way it should go. We should recognize God creator. We should worship the one true God. And so the book of Acts um, is Luke's record of how all this was done. In one generation, they did this. From Acts 1 recorded to Acts 28, look what happened. They did. They were the witnesses in Jerusalem, right? Chapters 1 to 7, we see the work that was happened there in Jerusalem, the first part of Acts. Then from chapter 8 to chapter 12, we have there were the witnesses in all Judea and Samaria as they kind of pulled out to there. Chapters 13 to 15, we have them in Asia Minor. Chapters 16 to 18, we have them in Greece. Chapters 18 to 20, they're in Ephesus. And finally, in chapter 28, it goes to Rome, which was at that time in world history was like the leading central city of the the civilized world at that time. But then we go on to chapter 29, and that's us. And we continue to carry it out. The church, the believers, are carrying the light of the gospel into the world. But it's got to be powered by the Holy Spirit. It's got to be led. It's got to be directed. It's got to be taught to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, And that is our job. That's our number one job. Number two is being, you know, wife, a mother, whatever, you know. Number three, employee or whatever, friend, whatever. But number one is that we are witnesses to Christ. Okay. So, that was the church back then. That was the beginnings of the church. Um, We look at the church today. Do we want to look at the church today? We need to look at the church today. We're the church. We're still the church. That hasn't changed. Christ's spirit still indwells us. Um, We still get a a new heart, and we get God's spirit that lives within us. We still have his word that has survived through time. So God on his end hasn't changed anything. But But the church, some of the entrappings of it are not unusual to this time. Throughout history, it's been an attack on what it is. So the church might be a little bit lazy. The church might be a little bit complacent. The church might be a little bit um, taking things for granted. Um, But God on his part hasn't changed any. We are still a witness to the world, and I want to make this statement and hope that it can empower you. We stand today on the shoulders of the apostles. We stand on the shoulders of the apostles on that foundation. We're not next to them or on the side. We're standing on that foundation. And all the saints throughout history, all the martyrs and all everything that has happened, we are another building layer on top of that. The church is to teach the word to those who know Christ so we can live in obedience to God's word. And the church is to preach the word to those who don't know. We hold up the truth, and God's spirit brings those people into the truth. So twofold, the church teaches the saints what scripture says, and the church preaches to the world to those who don't know Christ. We meet together consistently. I don't go to a very big church, but on Easter, where do these people come from? 
Last week, where'd those people go? Christmas is the same way, isn't it? Check the box. Went to Easter. Made mom happy. Check the box. Easter and Christmas, we are to meet together regularly, pray for prayer, sitting under the ministry of the word, taking communion, and fellowshipping with each other. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider, think about, grapple with it, plan it, problem solve it. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I like that. Stir, ever get stirred up by somebody? Are you want to serve today in the nursery? Do you want to, are you stirring me up? <laughs> stir up for uh, one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, this verse, Satan knows that that verse is in the Bible because he knows the Bible. And I honestly believe in this is unknown to any other time in history what happened the last two years in, this, in the world by us shutting down our church doors, by people locking down and staying away from people when this is in here and this commandment is in here that we are not to forsake assembling together. And when we bowed to that and bent to that... Um, We've lost ground. And I don't know if we're, I mean, God can get it back. We can have a revival and God can get it back. But our churches aren't nearly where they were at before. And in that void, when we were sitting at home in our, you know, lazy boys watching it on television, what was happening? Satan didn't lock down, did he? He got a hold of our kids in, in, in the public schools, in the grooming, and in this all transgender kind of stuff going on. It's out of control. But it's being exposed. People are seeing it. But there's been a lot of damage done in, the, in, the, in, the, in these last two years. It's a commandment. Do not forsake assembling together. And encouraging each other for that. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Boy, that's pretty profound there too. And so those are the things that we're supposed to be doing as a church as God's light shines in us. And all of God's promises are going to be fulfilled. He sent his spirit. His spirit indwells us. We need to know that Jesus is the sovereign king. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said this. I will, I will, he will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when we go out into the world as a witness with the light within us, when we go out there, don't be afraid. Our light, remember the demonstration I did last week with the box? Our light pushes evil out, okay? So God is not, he is guarding that. The gates of evil are not going to penetrate that. Emmanuel, God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And his promises are a done deal. Take it to the bank. He's with us. The hope of glory. Heirs of his kingdom. More than conquerors. So we have the spirit within us. We also have this lovely book here. And this summer I'm going to try to get mine rebound. Because I'll be able to part with it for a little bit. Um, Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Satan has attempted to destroy this book, 
many, many times. Burn it, destroy it. Those are kind of obvious things. But the one he likes the best is the one he started way back in the garden with Eve, where he plants a little seed of doubt when he twists something. Did God really say that? You know, well, whatever. And then that seeds of doubt and deception start to come into people's minds. He still has that today. We have bad translations. We have uh, picking things out of context. We have exegesis is when we take what the word is saying and we understand it. Eisegesis is when we have an idea and we go to scripture and try to find it. Okay, eisegesis, remember by I, I, I want to find where this is, or exegesis, what does God say about this? That's hermeneutics when you ever want to get into any of that. And so a lot of times it's um, misconstrued, but this will always stand. We need to be obedient and yield to the power of the Spirit. You know, this is the book that every time it's open, the author is right there with us, right? I love that idea. Philippians 12, Philippians 2 talks about how, because we have the Spirit in us and we're studying his word, there's another step in there that we need to do. We need to get out of the way so God can really work in us. In Philippians 2, 12, 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling what God has worked into you, both with both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he's working, and he's working out all the things he has planned for us to do for his good pleasure. So if we are not displaying or experiencing one of the fruit of the Spirit, if we've lost those things, those nine lists of the fruit, then we got in the way. And whenever you start to realize that, whoa, I'm more in the flesh here than in the Spirit, that's when we need to talk to God and say, okay, I need to yield again to you. I don't, where did my patience go? Where did my joy go? I don't have love for this. I don't have self-control for this. I don't have faith in this. I'm not being good today. You know, the list is right there. It's pretty obvious for us. It's not a hard list. There's only nine things. But we need to be obedient to the end and stay connected to the vine. John 15 talks about the vine and the branches and staying connected and letting the, the, bran- the, the vine feed the branches. So Acts ends pretty abruptly, I think, some people. Did you guys think it ended abruptly? Me too, because he starts with, you know, um, it's, a, it's, a letter, it's a book, but it's written to his friend Theophilus, right? You know, he wrote Theophilus, he wrote Luke to, um, the Gospel of Luke to his friend Theophilus, and now this is a, another one, you know, his second book to writing to Theophilus. And he doesn't say goodbye, Theophilus, at the end. He doesn't have any ending. Like if you go to all the other epistles that Paul wrote, it has a, it has a sign-off, you know. It's got a, the end of, you know, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And if anyone has love for the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in the Christ Jesus. Amen. His letters all end like that. This one doesn't end like that. This is an, a historical account of the early church. It's a historical account of our foundation. And so I honestly think that that is continuing on. So we can look at the last verse of 28 and own it. Proclaiming, Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God 
and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I want you guys to join with me and own that. We need to own that. Because this world's going to fade away. And we're going to get rewards for the times we can speak the truth to somebody or, or open up scriptures or pray with someone to read Christ or just a kind act. We're, we get rewards for those things. We let something like that go. We're, that's not a good thing. All this stuff's going to go. The church is to be the light, to carry the light of the gospel into the world, powered by the Spirit. I'm going to leave you with this one verse in 2 Corinthians. Will you go around and see if the kids are over in that hallway? They, they sneak up sometimes and they're so quiet. Yeah, thank you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 10. Paul's talking again. We have this treasure. This treasure is the Spirit of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every, every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to dis- despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So we are carrying Christ in us so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So, we're just jars of clay. We know that. We're just dust to dust and everything. And and we aren't perfect. We have cracks, right? But where we have those imperfect things that we don't take pride for anything, those are the cracks that Jesus can shine through. So the more cracks we got, the more that thing's going to shine too to manifest the power of Christ.